Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Is anybody inspired by watching that video? I know I am. I've been around for a long, long time in this church, but every time I see what impact we are making as a church, it never ceases to overwhelm me, and I feel incredibly grateful to God for His goodness to us, but also the goodness of the people that He's given to us. And so for everyone who was in that video or serving in one of those particular ministries, knowing that that's not all the ministries that we are involved in at a community level, just some, I just want to say from the the bottom of my heart. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Can you give yourselves a round of applause? The other great thing that just this week alone, since recording that particular footage, we have seen people being impacted by these particular ministries. Just this week, Jesse, who looks over and looks after our cafe, Origin Coffee Bar, uh, met a lady and uh, showed this lady around the auditorium and around the church because she was just really inquisitive as to who we are and what we do and why we believe what we believe and uh, showed an interest in the church and said, actually, I'd really like to come this Sunday. So I I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but I know that uh, something is moving and that happened just this week. I know that in the nurture group that Sarah leads, she asked Kath, my wife, to come and share uh, to all the ladies, knowing that there are many mums, not just from our church, but many mums from the community, people who have never been to a meeting like this, uh, were able to sit under Kath's ministry and care and love. And maybe Kath, you could come up and just share a little bit about that in a moment. That'd be great. But I know for me, as uh, I was able to pick Kath up, so I saw the last five minutes and I was able to introduce myself to many of the ladies that were there, in particular the community mums and I said, you know, I'm that guy that uh, that lady at the front there was talking about, my name's Tony and uh, I said, did you enjoy yourselves? And they said it was absolutely great and then I asked them more specifically, what is it you like? Was there a takeaway thought? Was there, a, was there something you could hold on to that was really helpful? And every person to a woman See what I did there? Every person to a woman said the same thing. They said, when Kath started talking about having a bedtime for your kids in order to protect our marriage, that really impacted them. And I thought, who would have thought that such a simple piece of advice would show love and care and direction? And I believe that's how we're going to win people in our community, not by being just spiritual, but having a spirituality that can manifest itself in a practical way of care and advice and help. And so Kath, you are brilliant. So let's welcome. Uh, just, just two things I think Tony mentioned the one the fact that you're able to bring the gospel without saying this is the gospel but just everything that is good and helpful for life actually comes out of God's word and we just got to be clever in how we present that and I think when we look at all the community and all the ministries there, there's ample opportunity for us to be able to share our faith without saying Matthew 21, 7 says this, you know, it's just let's live it out. But what I loved about Nurture on Monday was that there were uh, 30 women there and about 12 of those ladies were not from our church. They were community ladies. And what I really loved is six of them had been in the cafe in previous weeks and Sarah had met them in the cafe, had a conversation, had asked and what they're doing, saw that they had little ones and invited them 
to nurture. And so they've been coming ever since. Why? Because somebody actually just asked them and said, hey, I know something that would be of benefit to you. This is what I go to. Would you like to come? And they said yes. But they had to be in the cafe for that to be able to take place first. And so it's just a, a small insight into just the heart of how we can reach our community by opening up our church using these programs and then just asking because people are looking for opportunities to get help and to uh, get skills and just to be able to um, have things that help them in their life and what they need to do and I just think we are well equipped as a church and I'm excited about even the things that we're not we don't even know are buried and the talents that are buried within this church that people go oh if that's all it is I could do this and I just think there's ministries and there's opportunities galore that we just need to let come out of us so that was just a little bit on nurture great thank you let's put our hands together I love, I love, love, love hearing and seeing all the great things. And if you have a story, make sure you tell your story to someone of how God used you this week because that story is your story, number one, but it also will become some form of inspiration to encouraging others. So please, 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 whatever God is doing through you, please pass on that good news to someone. Amen. Which brings us to week two of Heart for the House. And we've called it Heart for the House intentionally so. We call it to heart for the house and not brain for the house because this thing does not start as a thought. We haven't called it money for the house because it's not about the money. Although this heart for the house month will conclude with us making a financial pledge and a financial commitment. But that's where it ends, but it doesn't start there. No, this actually starts in the heart. Everything in life, I believe, starts in the heart. It starts with us first being moved. This church did not start with a building. It did not start with a meeting. You need to know that. The first time we gathered together as a church was not the first time that that church was birthed. No, it started many years before that and it started in my heart and God started to speak to me and I started to pray with certain people and for two years we sought the face of God and after praying for two years, quite literally, I ran around my brother's house every morning from 5.30 to 6.30. No one asked me to do that. I wasn't told to do that. It's just something that I was stirred in my heart to do and for two solid years, I prayed together with my brother and from that two-year prayer meeting, we had an opportunity to start a church. And our first meeting was our first meeting, but it didn't start as a first meeting. It started as something unseen that was deep, deep, deep within me. And I believe that this whole Heart for the House month is not a drive for money. It's not to stimulate us to wholesome thinking, although I trust it does those things. But ultimately, it's something that's gonna check our heart. There's nothing that checks our heart more than finances. And so this is an opportunity for us to receive the heart's surgery, much like I received heart surgery on a practical physical level more recently. You see, every one of us has a heart. The heart is not the issue. The issue is what's the condition of our heart? What is the condition of our heart? Has our heart over time become hard and cynical and bitter and fearful? I'm not suggesting it has, but it's a good question to us to ask ourselves. And so this Heart for the House month is an opportunity for us to check our heart, It's an opportunity for God to do some surgery so that the bitterness, the hurt, the hardness or whatever the case may be, um, we would be able to get our heart in the right place. So this is about us pushing a reset button 
on our heart. And we started last week by looking at a few things that we saw in the life of Jesus. And they were, just to recap very quickly, that we must feel like Jesus felt. Jesus felt deeply for people. He was moved with compassion. And the question that we were left to ask ourselves is this, does my heart have room for the Father's ache? Secondly, we looked at we must prioritise what Jesus prioritised and we was left with the question, does my heart have room for the Father's plan? And thirdly, we must do what Jesus did. He didn't just talk, he actually lived the Word of God. And the question we were left is, does my heart have room for the Father's trust? When it comes to doing things, we often respond by saying, I would love to do something, I just can't afford it. I just don't have time. I'm a young parent. Uh, I'm too old. I don't have the energy. Um, I don't have the time. And we have all these excuses. But really at the end of that, it comes down to, is there room in our heart to trust the Father? for what we don't feel we are readily equipped for. When we first planted our church, I did not feel equipped. I did not feel ready. I had excuse after excuse after excuse. I had no experience. I was not properly trained, nor was I fully qualified, but I found in my heart a a resounding yes. And although there were more no's in my head, my heart overrode my head and I found myself saying yes when I wanted to say no. Is there anyone out there who can give an amen to that, how God creeps up on us and does those things? If we are to change the world around us, the world within us must first be changed. Amen. And so we're gonna look again at uh, some of the things that Jesus did and the willingness of whether we are willing to follow. And so please turn with me, if you would, or look on the screen. We're going to read from Luke chapter 9 and verse 21. Luke chapter 9, verse 21 says, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell them this to anyone. And he said this, The Son of Man, which is Jesus speaking of himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Verse 23 says, Then he said to them, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it and whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit your very self. These are very challenging words of Jesus. But if we are to be followers of Jesus, we have to follow all of his word. Would that be fair to say? We can't just look at the bits that Jesus said that we like. We need to look at them and we need to embrace them and we need to thank God for them. But if he's our Lord, if he's our saviour, if he's the one we're following, we've got to look at all that he said. And that includes this passage of scripture right here. It is difficult. It is certainly not easy, but it is powerful nonetheless. And Jesus finishes it by saying, what would it profit us if we gained the whole world? Just think about that for a minute. If you could have all the relationships you wanted, if you could have all the money that you wanted, if you could have all the power that you wanted, if you could own the whole world, but actually when you came to the last breath and you have to stand before the living God, and you forfeit your very soul, what would that profit you? You would live in regret for all time and eternity for the sake of 70 healthy and wealthy years 
It pales into insignificance by comparison when we live with eternity in mind. And Jesus is not being overly dramatic here. He's actually trying to get them to lift their heads. He's trying to say everything you see, taste, touch and smell is temporal. Don't place your uh, life in those things. Live beyond those things. Billy Graham, who is one of the world's greatest evangelists, is in his 90s, he's very frail, and uh, he will die in the next 12, 18, two years, whatever. He will die sometime in the near future. And yet he was one of the greatest evangelists ever used in the last 2,000 years. What does that tell us? What should that tell us? I believe it should tell us this, that death is no respecter of persons. If Billy Graham is on his deathbed and will one day depart from this earth. There is no escaping for you or for me. Every one of us is gonna meet our maker. And Jesus is saying on that day, you do not want to be having lived a selfish life. You do not want to have gained much on this earth, but forfeited your very self. Church, it's so easy for us to do. My job is to stimulate, it's to motivate, it's to uh, encourage us to lift our heads. And to do that this morning, I wanna look at three things that we need to be willing to do Uh, and Jesus was willing to do and Jesus modelled for us. And the first one is simply this, are we willing to carry what Jesus carried? Off the back of last week, we're gonna continue in the same vein. Are we willing to carry what Jesus carried? Verse 23, Jesus says that if you wanna follow me, you've gotta pick up your cross daily. Question, are we willing to pick up our cross like Jesus did? In order for us to be able to answer that, either positively or negatively, we need to understand what he means. Because in real terms, we are probably not gonna have to pick up a physical cross like Jesus did. In Jesus' day, crucifixion was commonplace. But today in Adelaide 2016, more than likely, none of us will ever have to pick up a physical cross and none of us will ever have the threat of being physically crucified. And so what does this portion of Scripture mean for us in 2016? Well, in order to have an inkling or an idea or some form of understanding, we need to understand what it meant for Jesus. In order to understand what the cross meant, we need to look what it meant back then. And in simplest, purest forms, the cross equals denying yourself. See, it's not about giving up the luxuries and it's not about going without necessities. It's more about denying the right to our own life. It's not about not having the car or not having the house. It's about you and I giving up the right to our own life. It's about denying our self-trust, our self-sufficiency and our self-reliancy. See, the cross is not a trial or a hardship we go through. Some of us have a mother-in-law from hell and they say, that's my cross. No, it's not. Some of you might have a crazy neighbour that just does not shut up and they're always fighting and they're always arguing. That is not your cross. Some of you might have a physical handicap. I'm here to say that that is not your cross. Why do I know that? Because these are some things that Jesus had to deal with on a daily basis and yet that all happened before His cross moment. He's talking about something else. You see, the cross represents shame and humiliation. The cross stood for something in the life of Jesus that was connected with shame and humiliation. It was a criminal's cross. 
Jesus never committed one sin, let alone broke uh, the law and committed a crime. And yet he suffered a criminal's death on a criminal's cross on which he hung. It was the place that he was demeaned and debased. The cross is a symbol of circumstances that humble us, expose us, offend our pride, shame us and reveal our basic evil. This is what the cross is about. The Bible says it this way, that we are not our own, that we've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus, that we are to live sacrificial lives as Christ sacrificed Himself, so we are to sacrifice ourselves. The Bible says it this way in Romans chapter 12, verse one, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy. And can I just say, let's remember that it's in view of God's mercy. These are strong words Paul is bringing to the church in Rome. He's saying, I urge you. And, And there's an urgency in my voice. I don't know if you can sense that, but there's an urgency in my voice and I don't apologize for it, but I want you to receive the urgency not out of anger or frustration. The urgency is out of, in light of what God has done for us. In light of the fact that death is no respecter of persons, in light of the fact that 50 to 100 years from now, none of us will be here. So there is an urgency in my heart for us to get this right and to make our time here on planet Earth count for something more than just ourselves. It goes on to say that in view of God's mercy, we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is it. In the Old Testament, they would sacrifice an animal and they would place that dead carcass on an altar and burn it to God as as an offering. In the New Testament, Um, we're not dead sacrifices. We are living sacrifices. And the difference between a dead sacrifice and a living sacrifice is the living sacrifice still has choices. It still has feelings. And uh, when the going gets tough as a living sacrifice and, and when the heat gets turned up in our life as living sacrifices, you actually wanna get off the altar. I I think way back to the Old Testament where Abraham was asked to offer his son as a sacrifice. But what you need to know about that moment in time, Abraham was an old man and his son was a man in his prime. This is a man who could have overpowered his father. But the Bible tells us that Abraham bound his son up. The fact that Isaac could have overwhelmed his father tells me that he was prepared as a living sacrifice to be bound. And as a living sacrifice, Isaac allowed himself to be placed on the altar. And as a living sacrifice, uh, Isaac allowed his father to grab the knife and raise it, ready to kill him. And it was only at that moment that the angel of the Lord intervened and freed Isaac. But at that moment, Isaac was a living sacrifice. He allowed himself to be placed on the altar. When's the last time we've allowed ourselves to be placed on an altar as a living sacrifice? Again, it's a metaphor to something that we can do that is very powerful today. I I believe for all of our children's workers and children's leaders, they are placing themselves as a living sacrifice in an environment and a place to build the church. They could be in here just receiving as you are, but they've actually allowed themselves as a living sacrifice to give of themselves again and again and again. And that would not have happened 
or this church would not have been built without the sacrifice from those people who are alive and making choices, who have feelings, yeah? I think about those that have weathered the storm, particularly this winter. It's been one of the coldest winters in 25 years. And yet every week you would have noticed there were people standing in our car park with signs saying, welcome, welcome home. We're glad you're here. And they're smiling and they're directing you and they're looking after you. Every week that has happened, rain, hail or shine. They are offering themselves as a living sacrifice, giving sacrificially. Are they doing it for themselves? Now they're already here, they've already parked their car. They're not doing it for themselves, they're doing it to help the people coming in, not just practically to park the car, but to give them something that we don't often get, and that's a smile and a warm welcome. Anybody can park a car, we do that all the time in our shopping malls, but you don't get greeted with a warm welcome, you don't get greeted with a smile. Normally you get road rage because there's one park and two cars, and we have this opportunity to say, hey, hey, we'll sort that out. Come on, no, we'll get you another park. And people are living sacrificially. And I, I thank God for all those living sacrifices that are making this church what it is. But I do want to bring a challenge to those that aren't living as sacrificially who could possibly help out and lessen the load. That's what Heart for the House is all about. It's an opportunity for us to push the reset button on our heart. And we can live sacrificially when it comes to our time, our talents and our treasures. The question is this, do we have room in our heart to serve for the sake of others? Are we willing to serve sacrificially, not for our sake, but for the sake of others? Sarah McIlrath does not have to do nurture for her. I know she gets a lot out of it, but she's not essentially doing it for her. She's creating a platform for others is there room in our hearts to serve for the sake of others and Jesus goes on to say that this is not a once off thing heart for the house is not a once a year thing it's a daily thing so pick up your cross daily and every day we have the opportunity to check our hearts if your heart can house it your hand sorry can hold it so number one are we willing to carry what Jesus carried? Number two, are we willing to pay the price that Jesus paid? In verse 22, it says, the son of man, Jesus speaking of himself, must suffer many things. He will be handed over the, to the chief priests and the elders and there he will suffer. Question, are we willing to pay a price for our Christianity like Jesus paid a price? I'm not asking you to pay the same price because he paid a price nobody could pay. But we should be prepared to pay a price nonetheless. Jesus paid the ultimate price. Why? Because what really counts costs. What really counts costs. If it's going to make a difference, it's going to cost us something. And Jesus paid the ultimate price and he has the scars to prove it. See, Jesus was scarred for you and he was scarred for me. And this was prophesied about hundreds of years prior to his arrival to planet earth. The prophet Isaiah said in chapter 53 verse 5, but he, speaking of this Messiah to come, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And it's by his wounds that we are healed. See, Jesus didn't just die on a cross. But Jesus was beaten, he was battered, and he was bruised. On top of that, he was betrayed and abandoned by those that were closest to him. And his body bore the marks of serving others. But he didn't do that because he was a masochist nor a sadist. He did it because his scars and his wounds would help others. You see, in heaven there is no imperfection with one exception. The scars that Jesus bears in his hands and the scars that Jesus bears in his feet are an eternal reminder, not of the pain he suffered, but an eternal reminder of what he did to redeem humanity once and for all. And Jesus wore those scars, not as a complaint, but as a badge of honour. And you and I, if we are to live our Christianity to its fullest, we will be scarred and we will be marred and we need to embrace it and not run from it. Because our Saviour, our Lord, our, our, the founder of our faith was scarred and marred. But they were life-giving scars. You know, I have a scar for my recent surgery. For those of you who may not know, I had uh, open heart surgery only seven weeks ago, which seems like an eternity. It seems like a while, doesn't it, church? But it was only seven weeks ago. And I, I have a nice little scar here, just uh, near my chest. But that scar to me doesn't remind me of the pain. The scar reminds me of my healing. It reminds me of a life-giving surgery. Without that surgery, my heart would have got worse and worse and worse until ultimately I would have died prematurely. Now that scar represents healing and it represents a life-giving moment for me. And I thank God for that. I have no regrets because of that scar. I wear it as a badge of honour. And I want to tell you, my life, like many of yours, has been scarred and marred as we have sought to live beyond ourselves and reach a broken and hurting world. And you're not going to reach a broken and hurting world without getting scarred and marred along the way. You see, scars represent the cost of obedience. To be obedient means you may be lonely and you may be mistreated. For the sake of others, are you prepared to have those moments in your life of loneliness? Moments where you are mistreated and misunderstood, which brings me to a second one that is scars of misunderstanding. My intentions and integrity have been questioned many, many times over the years. Maybe some of yours have too, but they're some of the scars that we bear. Scars represent the personal cost paid. I remember a friend of mine leading a large church in New Zealand. He'd taken out $7 million loan to build their church. And someone in the congregation said to him, oh, pastor, you look tired. And he said, I am tired. I'm carrying a sack on my back of 7 million seeds. And anytime you want to get in there and scoop some off to make it a little bit easier, so I'm a little bit less tired, that would be much appreciated. 
See, it's easy to stand from a distance and make observations about people and how tired they are or how grumpy they are, but it's another thing to be in the trenches carrying some weight. And as I listen to uh, this man's story, I realise how true it is of my story. When we built this building and there was a, a large financial cost and, and I was carrying the weight of that and I had the same thing. People came to me and said, you look tired. Well, I am tired. It's like a parent, you know, your kids might say, mum, you look tired. Yes, I am tired. And it's probably because of the kids. Anyone can point out that you look tired. Anyone can point out that you look grumpy or frustrated. But in our observation, that is our moment to be able to say, can I help? If we notice somebody's frustrated, if we know somebody's upset, if we notice someone's tired, it's not for us to point that out. It's for us to offer assistance. If you see a piece of paper that needs picking up, the fact that you saw it means you should pick it up. It's not for you to tell somebody to pick it up. The fact that you saw it makes you the answer. It makes you the, the, the problem solver of that problem. And when you see somebody's tired, somebody's frustrated, somebody's hurting, please don't tell them, I can see that you're hurting. I mean, really, anyone who's hurting, I promise you this, anybody who has ever been hurt at any time knows they're hurting. They don't need a Christian to come along and tell them you are hurting. And the last thing they need is a Christian to turn away and say, gee, I'm a good Christian. I'm doing a great job just telling everyone how, where they're really at. I mean, that's not our job. Our job is to relieve some of the load. It's a personal cost. Scars are resulting from a, creating a pathway. I, I believe that we are called to be a forerunning church and that's gonna cost us talking to a young man just this week. His name's Tyson and uh, he gave his life to the Lord only three weeks ago and I'm so grateful for this man and uh, with tears in his eyes, he was telling me his story and uh, among many things and, and hopefully we'll get to see it on video but this is what he said. He said, Tony, I just realised, it just, just hit me this week that had you not done what you did two, 22 years ago, you wouldn't have been here as a church for me to walk into. I'm so grateful for what you did all those years ago. But what we did all those years ago has come at great personal cost and pain and misunderstanding. And we do bear some scars, believe you me. But when I hear testimonies like that, it's worth it. It doesn't matter. All of a sudden, I'm not thinking about this person or that person who's led us. I'm just thinking, my gosh, I'm so glad we didn't give up or give in. And I don't want you to give up or to give in, not when we're this close to that next season that God has for us. And lastly, scars represent healing that has taken place. Oh, you've got to get this church. Scars represent healing that has taken place. See, a scar is different than an open wound. When I had my surgery, there was one a piece of advice the doctor gave me. He said, do not touch your wound. And I said, oh, I've got this special cream someone gave me. It's funny, when you leave a church, everyone gives you special creams or special something or special remedies. I appreciate them all, I do. Some I don't quite get how you'd even use, but thank you nonetheless. But this one, I thought, you know, that sounds good. I'll give that a go. And I asked the doctor, can I use this cream? And I showed him the cream, saw all the ingredients. Is this, is this, I'm told it's really, really good for scars. It's really good. Can I use this? And he says, one piece of advice, don't touch your wound. I said, yeah, but can I put this cream on it? He says, no, no, don't touch your wound. I said, yeah, I, I, I won't, but can I use this cream? And he said, how would you put it on? I said, well, he said, yeah, you'd be touching it. Don't touch the wound. That's what he said to me. And so I took him literally. I, I thought, I'm not going to touch the wound. I didn't, I didn't touch it. 
And I went back a month later to see this doctor. And so he did all the checks, the ECGs, and put all these things on me. And they said, can I have a look at your wound? And he said, wow, that's healed really well. That's incredible. That's healed as fast as I've ever seen anyone's wound heal. And I knew there was a God factor in that. But I also remembered his words. And I said to him, I said, that's because you told me not to touch it. Yeah. And I haven't put that cream on it yet either. <laughs> P.S., can I put it on now? I asked him, he said, you can put your cream on. So I've been putting this cream on anyway. So, so beside the buy, but... But it's amazing. He said, your wounds healed really well. Why? Because I wasn't picking at it. There are Christians who don't have scars, they have open wounds. And they have open wounds that have been opened for years. Because week after week, day after day, month after month, they pick and pick and pick and pick. I can't believe she said that. I can't believe she said that. I can't believe they said that. I can't believe she said that. I can't believe she said that. This wound that I have healed would not have healed if I kept picking at it. It would be open and pussy and infected. And I'd squeeze it and all this gunk could come out. Which would make great YouTube viewing. I got a quick confession. I do love watching pimple popping. I bet. All the young ones. Yeah, me too. You know when you think of those cute things that you as a dad could do with your daughter? That's one of the things that Jordan and I do. We, we watch videos where blackheads and pimples are squeezed. It's like, it's a bonding moment for us. Does that make me a bad dad? Don't judge me. But it's one, it's one of those things, isn't it, sweetie? And we love it, don't we? We get closer together for it. We just, it's just awesome. But seriously, I, I think about how many Christians that these videos represent. They pick and they squeeze and they poke and they prod. And when you've got a good pimple, you don't ever share it. You, don't, you, you want to share it. And so when, you, when you're picking, you, you share it. They said this, you're not happy just to have your little moat by yourself. You have to tell somebody. You have to tell someone. And you, you look at these people and they say, wow, when did this happen? And the way they're talking about it, you think this must have just happened. I mean, this must have happened this morning, surely. And they say, well, it was in the morning, but uh, the morning of 1973. <laughs> wow. If I said to you, have you ever had somebody hurt you? Every hand would go up. I mean, can we just do that as an exercise? Who's had somebody hurt them? Just, these hands go up everywhere. I see that hand. I see that hand in the balcony. I see that hand. God bless you. God bless you. It's just, it just happens. I'll tell you why. And I'll tell you why it will always be that way. Because we're dealing with flawed, imperfect humanity. And we think because they're Christians... They should not do that anymore. We're flawed. Even our best efforts. That's why we need the grace of God. That's why we need to come to Him on a daily basis. Because we're flawed and we expect them to live like God. But we're not living like God. People have upset me. People have abused me. And I've done the same to them. We're all as bad as each other. We have to find grace in God. And we have to live a life that maybe your sorry is not going to come. But you can still get healed. Yeah. That wound can become a nice scar. And the scar, when you didn't get your sorry, but you don't live with the pain of anymore, that's a scar to the goodness of God. Yeah. I never got my sorry from them, but I got my grace from God. Yeah. And I'm healed. And it doesn't consume me. And I don't think about it anymore. Yeah. It's a scar. It's something that happened that has been healed in my life 
Stop waiting for somebody to make amends for what they did to you. They may not even be aware of it. They may not even be aware of it. We need scars that have been healed. Imagine Jesus in heaven. Dad, look, they, they pierced me and it wasn't fair and they just treated me so bad 2,000 years later. Like, really? I, I see Jesus standing next to, or sitting next to the Father in heaven. Every time someone comes to Christ and, and their lives are turned around, he's looking at his hands like, it's worth it. It's worth it. It was worth it. Oh, it was so worth it. 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 And every time I see someone come to Christ, every time I see a community mum come to nurture, I say, it's worth it. It's worth it. I'll go through it again. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Which brings me to my third point. Actually, I need to have a question for this one, don't we? Our question is, do we have room in our heart to be scarred for the sake of others? And number three, question number three, are we willing to expect what Jesus expected? The band can come up. That'd be great. See, Jesus said not only would he suffer, not only would he be crucified, but he, he put this in. But on the third day, the Son of Man, speaking of himself, will rise again. See, there was always expectation. There was always hope. There was always trust in the Father's Word. There was always a belief that the best is yet to come. You know, for those of you who have settled the sacrificial life and you've settled the suffering life, that, that's great. But it can't be without a belief for better things. I don't want you to have a fatalistic viewpoint that says, well, bad things are always going to happen to me. I'm just going to show my faith by just, you know, just putting up with it. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus had an expectation that because of his pain, because of his suffering, because of his wounds, because of his scar, because he was marred, oh, there would be a people that would come to a saving knowledge of faith. And there was an incredible expectation. Kingdom-minded people live with kingdom expectation. They believe for a preferred future. They speak of a preferred future. They see a preferred future. What do you see this morning? See, a cross carrier sees beyond the pain of the cross. Church, let's not settle down, not now. Let's not say, well, we've gone 22 years. Tony should be happy now. It's not about my happiness. I want you to know that, church, this is not about my happiness. Our future is not based upon whether I'm happy or satisfied. This is about us having room for the Father's heart. And when you have room for the Father's heart, you listen to the Father's voice and you respond to what He is asking of us and He's asking more from us. It's not me asking more for you. I've opened my heart up to hear the voice of God and God is saying, hey, we've just started. Come on, there's more. There's more. Put that squeeze on. Put that challenge on the people. Remind them of why they're here again. And you know what, church? Why do we do this every year? Because we need to be reminded every year. Come 2017, we'll be doing something similar again because we always drift away from mission. We don't drift towards mission. And it's my opportunity today, my divine privilege under God to be able to stand before the people I love and bring this challenge with all of my heart, with an urgency and a faith and a passion. Say, hey guys, the best is yet to come. I think about what we've been able to achieve with what we've received, but how much more could we achieve if we received that bit more? I, I do, I thank God for the generosity of this church but it's still on the smaller percentage of people that are actually involved. I thank God for the hundreds of volunteers that we have, but there's still a greater percentage that aren't volunteering. I thank God for those that are giving financially, but there's still a greater percentage of people that aren't giving anything. Imagine if everyone got involved 
It would just mean more mission. It would mean more that we could achieve. It's, it's not about, hey, look, I, I would like a pay rise. This is not about that. I, I hope you know that. This is about the ministries that are yet to be birthed. This is about taking the present ministries you have to another level. And, and I don't know about you, but I, I'm excited about that. And I want us as a church to be a part of that. This is not a time to settle down. I've been told my whole life, the trouble is with you, Tony, you expect too much. And, and, and maybe that's why God chose me, because I expect more than the most. But you know what? I wear that as a badge of honour. I think I've told this story, but I'll tell it one more time. Many years ago, before this church was even in my heart, but I had a heart for serving God and I was asked to lead worship in the church we used to be in. And now I don't sing and I don't play an instrument, but thankfully the songs back then weren't as intricate as they are today. And they were more like pub songs that everyone could just sing along to, you know, the kind of around the piano, everyone just sing. And because I had a measure of leadership in my life, I, I would just, come on, let's sing. And I, I didn't sing so much as just tell people what to sing. Hey, come on, let's just sing. And, and so we did that. And there was this one particular day where we would get together in the Lucrece room, we'd gather in a circle to pray. And I was doing what I'm doing now, getting really excited. This is gonna be the best night of our lives. This is amazing, what an incredible privilege. Hey guys, I want you to give your best tonight. And this woman, God bless her, but just interrupted my, my Martin Luther King moment. <laughs> I have a dream speech. And she says, the trouble is with you, Tony, you expect too much. Just talk about a wet blanket. And I could see the faith get sucked out the room. I thought, I've got to get the faith back. And I don't know what possessed me to do this. I think it was God. It may have been the devil, I'm not sure. But either way, I went up to this girl and I put my finger in her face. And I said, how dare you? And everyone, everyone, everyone was listening now. Everyone's, got, everyone's engaged. How dare you, I said. Tell me that I expect too much of a God who can do more than I ever will dream imagine or hope for. Don't you dare tell me I can expect too much. I said, does anyone else have a problem with my expectation tonight? <laughs> See, as I'm, as I'm reliving it, I, it was definitely God. It was a God moment. It definitely was. And then I think, you know what? Whether right or wrong, God can use that. God can use that. Don't tell me we expect too much. Are you kidding me? I don't expect enough. My biggest problem in church is I don't expect enough. My, my biggest problem is I'm in this body of flesh and it, and, and, and it, gets, it gets reduced to fleshly things. And I, and I want to live above that. And that's what I love about Heart for the House Month is that it gives us an opportunity to live above and beyond all we ever dreamed, hoped for or imagined. And I start thinking of what could be if we as a church would just be involved another year. Get involved maybe for your first year. Oh my gosh, it gets really, really exciting. Because I know at the end of it are Tysons everywhere. There are male versions of Tysons, there are female versions, there are men versions, there are boy versions, there are girl versions of Tysons that are gonna come and say, I'm so glad you didn't give up on me. I'm so glad you're here. Oh my gosh, my life would be in a mess. Tyson went on to say this. He said he, was, he, he, he believes in the law of universalism. And so he, when I first met him, he used universe instead of God. That was where he was at. And he was having a conversation with the universe and, and, and he just got this overwhelming sense that the universe was taking him home. And I'm thinking, where's this going? Is he gonna kill himself? Is it one of those stories? But he didn't know what it meant. He just felt like I'm going home. The universe was speaking to him, never been to this church, but he was going home. And then it took a precious person, a sacrificial 
person in our church named Terry who invited him. And within 40 minutes of him having this epiphany, this revelation, he walks into our church and guess what the first thing he sees on the screen is? Welcome home. And he bursts into tears. Why do we have screens? He didn't hear us sing. He didn't hear me preach. He just saw the words, welcome home. He burst into tears and he knew at that moment that he was home. And he's been to church every week since for three months. And he gave his life to God three weeks ago. He uses God now instead of the universe because he thought universe was God. Then he realised there's a God who made the universe. And I don't know about you, but if that doesn't stir you today, you need to check your pulse. Are you with me? Are you with me? And so the question we have to ask ourselves is simply this. Do you have room in your heart to believe for the sake of others? Do you have room in your heart to believe again? To get past your hurt? to get past the storms that have weathered our heart, to just let God do a healing work on our open wounds. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to judge you. Maybe you've had an open wound for 10 years, 10 months, 10 days. It's too long. But God can heal by His grace. But we've got to stop picking at it. We've got to start looking at Him, receiving His grace. And in time, that which was once an open wound, so painful, will become a scar and we'll wear it as a badge of honour because it's something we found healing in God by His grace and not because we were justified before man. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au.